0: Well, through the summer, guys, we've been uh, taking a look at the book of Ephesians, kind of looking at it through the lens of what it means for the church. Because, in fact, Paul is writing this to a church, right? A church that he knows well, to a group of people that he has spent a lot of time with. But as you read through it, you recognize that this book is different than many books that Paul wrote a lot of times when we study through a, a book in the Bible, when we do a, a study over a, an epistle, we're looking for the things to do kind of categories of things, to do this and not do this is, uh, of the scripture. And that's good because that's exactly what the Bible was written for. It's a, it's a plan of how to live and what to avoid in life so that we might have the most successful life as God plans for us to have. But the book of Ephesians catches a lot of us off guard because it starts in such an odd way. The Apostle Paul seems to be that preacher that get caught, got caught up in the introduction of a sermon, and he just doesn't quit with that. He just continues on and on. In fact, if, you're, if you've been following along with us through the last few weeks, we are now in chapter 3, and we are yet in the introduction to Paul's book. Really, the book of Ephesians is a book divided into two sections, chapters 1 through 3, Remind us of how enormous God's grace is toward us. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell us, in light of God's grace, this is how you should live. The Apostle Paul is doing something extraordinary here. And I think it's because he knew this congregation. He knew that in a time not too long down the road, this congregation would go through a challenge that I think many congregations in the United States today are struggling with as well. It would be John who would record the words of Jesus in the opening portion of the book of Revelation when Jesus is analyzing the seven churches scattered throughout Asia. And he lands on Ephesus. And as you, as you begin that conversation with Ephesus, you're like, these guys are doing great, right? He says, hey, guys, love what you're doing. You have a lot of passion. You have a lot of drive. You, you're, 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 you've maintained consistently your walk. Your doctrine is solid. Great. And then he says, but... I have this against you. You've lost your first love. The church in Ephesus is struggling with something that probably all of us struggle with. And that's why Paul has done this extraordinary introduction to the book written to that congregation. He's, he's trying to challenge them in an area of their weakness that I believe is also an area of our weakness oftentimes as well. So, if you have your Bibles this morning or you have it up on your phone, click over with me to ephesians the third chapter we 're going to pick up together today in verse fourteen um, but i 'm just going to read a, a bit of i 'm going to read the whole section to us and then we 're going to break that apart this morning as time permits and kind of see what it is that Paul is saying now. I just want to warn you up front that as I read through this it 's easy to get lost. This is paul and it 's a prayer right here; he is going to God, and he is petitioning god so if you get a little confused, you're good. I do too. Um, but we're going to go back over this and we're going to break this down in a few moments. So Paul finishes this opening portion of Ephesians in verse 14. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Just reminding us here quickly that, that we are all a part of, of the family of God, that all of us, no matter our ethnic background, we've all been created by and are loved by the heavenly Father. And then he goes on to say that according to the riches of his glory that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that is what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with. With all the fullness of God. Paul is saying an absolute mouthful right here. And I think that we kind of sense that as we read through it. But what is his intention as he closes out this prayer? Well, Paul is reminding the church of a couple things. And, and first of all, when you look at this, you kind of recognize that this whole book of Ephesians is working something like a pyramid. He started out with kind of a broad approach, but as we work through chapter 3, Paul is bringing it to this climactic point when he goes to God in prayer and he asks that in the end, the Ephesian church would be filled with Paul's words, the fullness of God. In other words, he wanted the Ephesian church to look like God, to look exactly like God's son, Jesus, which is a huge prayer, but it also is kind of inspirational. That's what Paul recognized was possible in a church that was fully committed to Jesus Christ. Let's be honest, we sometimes sell ourselves way short, and we do that because we don't want to imagine that we have that kind of opportunity or responsibility resting on our shoulders, but that's exactly what Paul felt the Ephesian church needed to hear. And he uses words here that are kind of interesting. We're going to take a look at the middle part of this book where he says that you are being rooted and being phrased. And I just want to warn you really quick or talk about this up front. If you are a Greek person, which most of us aren't, but if you study this in Greek, this is in the perfect past participle. All right, perfect passive participle means that it's something that happened in the past that was done for us. Now Paul is going to talk a lot in the future about the things that we do in response to the gospel. But right now Paul is talking about what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ. And so it's really important. Paul believes that once we understand what God has done, then we will be willing and able to do much better what God has called us to do. That's where we are in the book of Ephesians. So Let's look at these two prayers that Paul prays. Well, there we're are three different prayers that Paul prays in the middle of this prayer. The first one is that Paul prayed for the love of Christ to become our root system. He said that you might be rooted in love. I think we all realize that roots are important. In fact, right now in South Louisiana, I think that we're starting to really see the evidence for that. Behind my house, there's a, a wooded area, kind of on the other side of the pasture. And I was the other morning I'd come out, and I, I kind of do this. I, I don't know if how many of you know know me well, but I uh, I milk cows every morning. Um, I don't know why; it's some kind of a mental illness. Um, but uh, I go out there and in my barn, and I'm happy in my little element, milking my cows. And a lot of times, while the milkers run, and I'm leaning on my gate, and I'm looking out, and I notice as I looked out across my now like brown pasture, I looked out to the trees beyond, and there's this massive tree that's kind of in the middle of my property in the back. When you get close to it, it's just the coolest old tree. It's massive. It's got great big burls on the side of it. It's got those limbs that kind of come out. It looks like something out of a scary movie, right? But it's a beautiful old tree. It's probably been there for a hundred years, I would guess. And I noticed that the leaves on the top or upper edges are starting to turn yellow. And every day, the leaves are turning more and more yellow, I I think that that mighty oak might be dying because it's dry. And when life happens, our root system gets tested. Now, there's a lot of things that we can put our roots into in fact, Jesus described a group of people that were, as he described them, blown and tossed by the wind. Paul is praying that we will be a group of people that are rooted in love. He has this idea that we're going to drop our roots down into the knowledge that Jesus Christ has come and paid the ultimate price for us. And I think sometimes for some of us in the room this morning, this is a bit of a stretch because maybe we've grown up in a world where, where love is an economic thing. What I mean by that is, is that we grew up in a family where, where we were loved if, if we did the things that we were asked to do. Or there was a known limit to the amount of love that we were given. And, and, and that's, a, that's a very shallow kind of root system Paul is talking about a kind of root system here that's dropped down into this understanding that God loves you absolutely completely, that God loved us in our brokenness, God loves us in our wickedness, he doesn't want us to stay there, but he is willing to go to whatever extreme measures necessary so that we might know him. He said, I want you to be rooted in Christ's love. When we ask ourselves, "Well, what does it mean to be blown and tossed we recognize that while we want to root ourselves in a lot of things, a lot of the things that we root ourselves with are not very stable. You might, you might find that perfect person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, a spouse that is a completion of who you are. And if you have found that, you are blessed If you've known that in your life, you are blessed. That is a beautiful thing to have a a relationship with someone. God puts Adam in the garden, and he said, it's not good that he's alone. I'm going to make him Eve. God created marriage. Those things are wonderful things, and it's wonderful to have that close personal connection with another person. But we dare not put our roots into that relationship entirely because sometimes people change. No fault of your own. They may decide that they no longer want to be a part of your life. Or sometimes God says it's time for your spouse to come home. And you're not ready to let go of them yet, and yet God says, no, it's the time. And if your root system is just in a relationship, you are left without any kind of foundation at all. Some people say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put my roots in, into, into my job. I'm going to dedicate myself vocationally. I'm going to earn a lot of money. I'm going to create an empire. and That money will provide me protection and security. But you know, money is one of those things that, I don't know how this works, but money just has a way of getting out on us, doesn't it? I went over to my neighbor's house the other day. My neighbor decided he's going to raise some rabbits in his backyard. So he just put a fence around his backyard and he put rabbits inside the fence. And if he had talked to me before that, I would have told him, there's no way you're keeping them rabbits in that fence. Rabbits can find their way out, right? And he has rabbits now in his yard. So if you all want some rabbits, I, I can tell you where to go. Um, um, he's trying to get them back in the fence now. But the thing is, money's kind of like rabbits in a fence. I mean, you have it in your pocket. Next thing you know, you're gone. I think we all know that. There's a lot of things that can happen to that nest egg that we've put our faith in, that we've put our roots into. Some of us say, you know what? You really can't trust anyone but yourself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust myself. I know myself. I know my intentions. I know my abilities. I know my talents. I know my strengths. I'm going to be a driven person. I will accomplish and conquer the world. And that's great as long as everything stays going your way. But we don't own the breath in our lungs. We don't know tomorrow tomorrow. And even though you might have the best of intentions and you might have the best of health and you might have all the energy and passion in the world, you you may find that your foundation, your faith, is once again weakened. Paul recognized something that he's sharing with us this morning. There is nothing in this world that you can stably put your faith into except Jesus Christ. He is the one unshakable thing. And Paul recognizes it's not just the idea that Jesus lived, but it's the concept of the love of Jesus. The fact that he was willing to leave heaven and come here and live among us to teach us and then to die for us. That commitment, that love, that gift, that's something you can root into. Over in Lafayette, You're driving off Ambassador Caffrey right before you go over the railroad tracks there. There, if you turn off into that industrial park, some of you guys have done this before with me, but uh, if you turn off, I don't remember the name of the road, I'm terrible with directions, but um, if you turn off right there by the Conoco Station, right, right, right by High Tech Tools, I, can, yeah, I, I grew up in the country, y'all. Um, anyway, you, you drive off the road right there, Chris will know the name of the this, of this street, just tell him. There, you drive down the end of this, this, this whole industrial complex and, and here's this open field with this one tree out in the middle of the field and you, you might look at it at first and you'd be like, huh? Like, why didn't they not take that tree down? But but if you have a few moments on some evening when you're in Lafayette or you have a few moments in the middle of the day, I just encourage you to take that little diversion, drive up, park underneath that tree, and get out. That tree's left there because it's special. Hurricane Audrey blew through years and years ago, and the wind was so strong that that tree got uprooted. It's a live oak tree. It's laying on its side... Half of its root system is exposed in the air. It's all kind of grown over now, but you can see it. It's not hard to see. This is a tree that literally got blown over in its youth, and yet it decided that it would keep growing, that it it wasn't going to die in the scorching sun. It was going to put down the roots that remained and provide for the entire tree, and still to this day, generations later, it inspires people as a survivor oak to continue on. There's a big difference between the beautiful tree in my backyard and the survivor oak in Lafayette. And that one difference is the root system. The tree in my backyard is beautiful, gorgeous, tall, water oak, very shallow, very small root system. That tree is a live oak and it has an expansive root system. It's grown over time. And even though it gets torn up and life will tear us up on occasion, it is carried on. I can guarantee you this morning, as much as it hurts me to do so, that there will be tears and trials that come along in life. There will be strong winds that blow against the substance of our life. Jesus told us that in the parable of the two builders. Paul said, I want you to have your life, your faith, your security rooted in the love of Christ. But then he uses another metaphor as well. The second thing that he prays for is Paul prays, for the love of Christ to be our foundation. It's not just that he wants us to kind of like put the roots down and hang on until Jesus comes, but he said, no, I want you to build on this. I want you to do something with the life that you've been given, and I want to give you a foundation that you can build on. Some of you guys do this every day, and you know this better than I do, but if you're going to build a foundation for a building, that has to be done right. I worked on a project years ago, And we worked an entire summer, it seemed like, and we weren't even above grade yet. I mean, they dug down and they put iron and cement and iron and cement. It was a big thing that was going to go on top of it. But while I walked away from it, it didn't look like anything much different than when I walked there. But underneath the ground, there was a massive foundation that would later support the superstructure that was built on top of it. And Paul said, you know what? You and I need a firm foundation to build our lives on. It really hurts me, but there's a lot of people that choose to build their foundations for their lives on some of the things that they choose to root their lives in relationships, jobs, careers, finance, their own talents and abilities. They invest a tremendous amount of effort in those things. And for a while, everything looks like it's going wonderfully until the foundation fails. And it all falls apart. All that effort, all that struggle, all that good intention, all those, all those hours of labor and financial resources and skills and talents were poured into absolutely nothing. Paul said, look, I want you guys to build on something that when you leave this life, it's still there, that you can look back at and say, what I've built is secure. You can build on this foundation. And that foundation is that is the love of Jesus. He says in the second half of that, that you being grounded in love. Sometimes I think that we think about love, and we think about love being just kind of, you know, like, ah it's kind of mushy-gushy, right? Oh, love, that's simple stuff. Give me some real doctrine. The Apostle Paul seems to be convinced here that if we have real doctrine and we don't understand love, that we don't have much. You might remember the first part of 1 Corinthians 13. Before Paul describes to us what love is, and he gives us a biblical definition of love love is patient, love is kind. You guys know that stuff. He starts off by saying, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels and I have not love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. And he goes into this whole section of hyperbole where he says, hey, you can know every language in the world. You can have every understanding. You can be the wisest person to live. You can be the greatest benefactor to mankind. But if you're not doing it from a platform of love, it ends up being noise and wasted energy. See, the church in Ephesus, they knew how to go through all the motions. And Jesus, in fact, will reinforce that fact. Generations later, as Jesus looks at the church in Ephesus, they're still, in his words, persevering. They are, in his words, maintaining the doctrine. Right? They are doing all the things that churches are supposed to do. They're teaching the right things. They're dealing with false teachers. They're hating the things that Jesus hated. And they're doing it exactly like they're supposed to. But then Jesus comes to them and says, yet this one thing I have against you, and if you don't fix it, I will come and remove your candlestick. This wasn't just an optional thing for Jesus. This was an absolute necessity for this church to be called one of his. Paul wants us to be utterly convinced of Jesus' love first and then to respond through it, to it through a life of radical good works. See, a lot of us come from a background where we've tried to earn people's love. And so we think that I need to earn love. And the problem is, guys, is that we, we, we do something really, really dangerous with God. And I think that sometimes we do this because we're scared of the implications of the kind of love that Paul is talking about right here. We, we say, you know what, God, I'm going to do these things for you. I'm going to serve in this way for you, Lord. This should be enough for you, Father. Because I love you. But Paul said, I want you to understand what God's done for you first. I want you to understand that God didn't just love you. God gave his son up for you. I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just care for you. He left the Father in heaven. He came into a world that was full of sin his nature being identical to the Father in heaven, Jesus would have been revolted by the brokenness of this world. Remember, the Bible says that our righteousness, our good parts, are like filthy rags to God, right? And yet, in God, God, when He would see sin, if, if God's presence was unmuted by grace, when God sees sin, it's destroyed. God's just absolutely antithesis of everything that we are oftentimes. And yet, Jesus became one of us, not in sin, but in flesh. He became a human. He grew up in a broken family. He had siblings that were fighting, he had neighbors that were gossiping, he had family, townspeople that were having affairs on one another, he was surrounded by these things, and yet he endured it all to set us an example and to teach us, and then he died for us, went to a cross for us, suffered separation from the Heavenly Father for us. Paul said, I want you to understand the love of Jesus because it is the foundation that everything else in your spiritual life needs to be built on. Here's the thing, when we understand that God gave us everything, when we accept and acknowledge that we have been radically loved by the creator of the universe, it then demands that we give him everything. That's what scares most of us. That's why we're kind of scared sometimes to look too deep into this love thing because we realize if we know how much God loved us and how much he's given us, then there's a huge demand on us to give back so much easier if i can just love god the way that i want to love god we often say the truth will set you free and jesus in fact himself said that in john 8 right john 8:31 he said to the jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Guys, here's the thing. We need to be set free from the myths that we have to earn the love of God. You can't, but it's yours. There's no way that we can be good enough to be loved by God. Several years ago, I went and sat at the bedside of a person whose life was near in the end. They had served the Lord their entire life. And I asked him, I said, is everything squared away with you and God? If, if, if you hear me come say that, that probably means that you're not going to be here for long. I'm just in case any of you guys know that. that but I th- think I have a responsibility to ask that question, right? I, I want to make sure if this person's about to go into eternity and there's something that's holding them back, let's talk about this. The person was quiet for a long time and they turned over in their hospital bed and they looked at me. And they said, I hope I've done enough. Sorry to tell you guys this, but you're never going to do enough. You don't have to do enough. Jesus has done what has to be done. He has saved you already, right? If you have been baptized into Christ, if you have been covered with his blood, God has put his spirit within you. You are made alive with Christ. You are alive, once dead in your sins and transgressions, now alive in Christ. You don't have to do stuff. You get to do stuff. Because you were saved by a loving father. That's what Paul said. I want you to put your roots into that because Satan's going to blow against your house. He's going to try to strip you from that foundation. But if your roots are in the fact God loves me more, you're never going to be pulled loose. I want to build your life on that because if you build your life on that, there's no way Satan is ever going to take away the good that your life can accomplish. But if we build it on anything else, the truth is it can all be taken from us in a moment. Let's close where Paul closes his prayer. Because Paul finishes and he prays for us to have the strength to, in his words, comprehend the love of Christ. This is pretty powerful stuff right here. He said, I hope that you guys have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Sometimes we look at that and we wonder, What does he mean? Well, he kind of means what we just talked about a moment ago. He said, I pray that you have the strength to get it. I pray that you understand what it is that God has done for you so that you are willing to do what God has called you to do. See, the thing about Paul is Paul was an adventurer. Paul was a guy who loved an adventure. You're not the kind of guy who says, hey, let's go out and get shipwrecked a couple times, take a few tours of the world with just a knapsack on our back. And if we get in prison, beat up along the way or stoned, that's just part of the story. That was Paul, though. He, he, he was excited. He was driven. He was going to go. He might have been a little crazy, but God used him to do amazing things in the world, right? This was a guy who loved adventure, and Paul saw the ultimate adventure as the life of Fully devoted to God. He said, You know, that's a place where you can have the biggest adventure ever. He he saw it as a fortress to be scaled. He saw it as a wilderness to be charted. He saw it in terms of like geographical things. He's he he goes on to say the the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And and what did Paul mean by all that anyway? Well, he wanted us to get an understanding of the scale. For instance, he starts off and he says a breath. That just means the the, the width of something, right? And, And Paul said, look, this gospel, what God has brought into the world, the love of Jesus is big enough that it's gonna cover the whole world. Jesus sent us into the whole world, right? And you think about it today, right? No matter where you go in the world, there are Christians almost everywhere in the world. That is absolutely unbelievable when you think that this whole thing started with one guy who was born in a backwoods village in a little-known place in the middle of Palestine 2,000 years ago. And yet 2,000 years later, everyone in the world kind of knows who Jesus is a little bit, at least. Most people do. And most people have, at some point in their history, been affected by Christianity, that's pretty amazing. But Paul didn't stop there. He said, not only does this thing have a lot of breadth, but it has length. You, there's a lot of people maybe that, that might create such a sensation that the world around might know them, especially in our modern world. You know, like people like, I know that name. Like, if you go anywhere in the world, a lot of people know the Beatles, right? They popped in on the world. They introduced the world to rock and roll. A lot of people knew about the Beatles. But the thing about, about those kinds of moments is, while they may have a lot of width, they don't have much length. It doesn't take long until people forget about certain people and certain eras, and it just becomes history. Yet, Paul said the love of God is not just wide, it's not just for everybody, that all people might come to repentance, but it's also it's, it's also long. It starts in the, in the garden, when God put Adam in the garden, and it won't quit until Jesus comes again and the trumpet blast blows, and we'll go on into eternity in the presence of the love of God. This is not just a moment in time, this is time. So not only is it wide, not, is it, not only is the gospel and the love of God open to everybody, but it starts from the very beginning, and it will be going when time has ceased. And then, then Paul pulls out another, another uh, geographical location. He said it's high. Like some of us love to climb high stuff, right? Every year, people get together, risk life and limb, and about a million dollars to climb up Mount Everest. It's tough. I mean, you, you have to be in physical condition. You have to have oxygen. You have to hire a, a, guide, a, a guide to get you up there and get you back down again. This is, this is the ultimate adventure. And yet Paul says, look, guys, you have no idea of ultimate adventure if you haven't walked with Jesus. Because you're not just climbing the height of a mountain. <laughs> no. He says he has raised us. In fact, he tells us this in Ephesians. He has raised us to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are in heaven. You have a seat at the table of the creator of the universe. You are a part of his family. He has adopted you in as one of his kids. This is height. And then he says, and depth. The thing about the love of God is, is it is huge, right? It's wide. The whole world sees it. The love of God has been present before the world was created. It'll be going long after this world is finished. God has called us to not just be left here, but to be a part of his spiritual family with him in heaven. But Paul said it also has depth. Because if we're honest this morning, we've all dug ourselves a hole. I know some of us, we we meant to, and some of us didn't. We just did it in ignorance, but we dug ourselves a hole. Some of our holes were just deep enough we couldn't get out of them, and some of them were so deep we couldn't even see the way out anymore. But the love of God reached into the darkness of the hole that we had created, and it pulled us out And he set us on firm ground. And he said, let's try again. That's love. Paul said, church in Ephesus, I just want you guys to get this. I don't want you to make up some manageable size of love of God. I don't want you to create some little God so that you don't feel like you have a personal commitment to give it all. I want you to give it all. then Paul finishes in this beautiful way. He says that I want you to be filled with the fullness of God. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? That word filled is used throughout the New Testament. In in Mark, the 14th chapter, it's talking about being filled with sorrow. In Matthew 21, it's filled with anger. Acts 13, it's used a couple times, once to be filled with jealousy, another time to be filled with joy. It's this idea, that to be filled with something is to be in its grip, to have a thing that becomes a controlling influence in our actions or our behavior. When you're filled with something, when you're filled with anger, the anger has taken over, right? It is, it is working through you. So to be filled with the fullness of the Pleroma of God, it's a Greek word, doesn't matter to most of us, means that you have given God a controlling influence in your feelings, in your desires, in your thoughts, and in your hopes. You've given God a controlling influence in your relationships, in your words, in your actions, in your reactions. God is in control of your calendar. He's in control of your checkbook. He is in control of whatever is a part of your story because he is the one that you love. Because he first loved us. At any given time, we might get hangry. You might be hangry right now. You might be sad. You might be lonely. You might be righteously indignant but we don't have a right to allow emotions to control us because God is to be in control. Really what Paul is asking us is, are we walking with the Spirit? To be filled with the fullness of God is to be conscious of and yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit, which he gave us at our baptism, to change us and to transform us and to renew our minds. We're, we're, we're conscious of God's presence. We're conscious of God's strength. We become conscious of how God cares for other people, not just our own interests. Our spiritual authority, our moral excellence, and our character. God wants us to represent him in our holiness and our righteousness and our love toward other people. At, re- at risk of maybe being oversimplistic this morning, I just want to make a comparison and maybe help us understand what Paul is trying to say to the church and what Paul is praying for, for this church. Because a young person, some of us can remember back to these days, right? A young person who has just fallen in love doesn't regard time with their new love interest to be a duty, Right? I know it's for hard for some of us to remember back in those days. This morning, Ms. Al, Mr. Al and Miss Bev showed up at first service, and, and Miss Bev showed me this picture. It's the coolest thing. I wish that you guys could have seen it. But it's a picture of Mr. Al and Miss Bev, like two months before they got married at her sister's wedding, right? And, and, and they will be married this year 63 years, all right? So they've been married a long time. Um, and, um, and, and there's this picture of Al and Bev. I've known Al and Bev ever since I moved here. You look at that picture, and you realize they were young. And in love. You can just see it, right? It was just on their faces. They were just love, in love with each other. And, and guys, when you're in love with somebody, it's not a duty. You're like, oh, I've got to spend time with this person. And I really should talk with them, but I, I think I'm going to skip for today. Oh, they've asked me to do something. I can't believe it. They want me to change something about myself. I have seen My friends, undergo the most radical transformations over a girl. I mean, I had one buddy that that he was a cowboy and country boy of cowboys and country boys. But when he met a city girl, that boy slicked up in a minute. I mean, everything changed about his life. He he talked different. He wore different kind of clothes. He listened to different kind of music because he was in love. What did Jesus tell the church in Ephesus? you're doing a lot of stuff right you're going through the motions you're patiently enduring you're persisting your doctrine is solid but you've lost your love and that's a problem this morning I just want to give an invitation if anyone's here and recognizes that their life is not where God wants it to be if they've never had their sins washed away in the waters of baptism, if they've never had an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to recognize what it is that God wants to do in our lives, let's not leave here today without taking care of that. Maybe you're here today and you made that decision years and years ago, but as we preach through this text, you recognize, you know what? Paul is talking a little bit to me. Because I've let my love cool off. I've become comfortable just going through the motions of what it means to follow Jesus. But I don't have that spirit and that heart about me anymore. Maybe you come and say, hey, I just need a church family to pray for me. Or maybe as we stand together and we sing, maybe you just want to bow your head in place and say, God, help me to to love you once more. The thing is, the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus said, hey, consider the height from which you have fallen and repent. It's not like it's too late. They hadn't already lost their candlestick or their place. No, he just said, I want you to recognize that I want more. I want everything from you. And, and, and just get that right, and then we're all good. <laughs> you can do that today. We're going to stand together this morning. We're going to sing. If you have a need of any kind, you know you can always come or catch one of us before we leave today.